0: On this episode we're talking about season 4 episode 7 Chuck versus the fist fight.
1: Well, I I don't really want to be confrontational, Aaron, but it's actually Chuck versus the first fight.
0: Chuck versus the first flight?
1: No, I No, Aaron, it's it's Chuck versus the first fight.
0: Ah, Chuck versus the flashlight.
1: Gah! To go, Chuck yourself. Welcome. In this episode, we are talking about Chuck versus the first fight, but we're not fighting here. We're all good. My name is Chris Gillespie.
0: My name is Aaron Rada.
1: And I'm just gonna get it out in the open. We recorded this episode before Election Day. This episode is, of course, coming out about a week after Election Day here in the United States. So, although your ballots
0: list- might not even have been counted yet, nothing might be different.
1: That's right. Um, so we're not going to be commenting on whatever is going on currently while you're listening to this because we can't. We simply don't know. <laughs> so instead, we'd like to offer a pause uh, in which you can express whatever you're feeling right now about whatever has gone on. Uh, whether you want to celebrate, uh, if you want to do like a little happy dance or if you want to scream and cry, whatever you want to do. Let's do it all together right now uh, in this in this brief pause. Okay. So now that that is out of the way, let's change the topic completely and give ourselves a mental reprieve from all of this and get ready to have a fun episode of Go Chuck Yourself where we're talking about season four, episode seven, Chuck versus the first fight. Um, Maybe this this could be good fodder for a fight. I, maybe not a fight. Maybe we'll be very diplomatic and we can uh, handle this like adults. But I would like to say that uh, last night at 12... 12- <laughs> 12.47 a.m. Eastern Standard Time last night. I was falling asleep in my bed. I was very tired. And then my phone starts going off on my nightstand uh, in a series of text messages. And I was very concerned. I was like, I'm so tired. But if someone's texting me at a quarter of 1 a.m., it might be important. I should I should probably read this to make sure that everything is OK. So I pick up my phone and it's from Aaron. So I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on with Aaron. Uh, and the the gist of these three messages was that Aaron decided at this time that she wanted to ask me if I'd be able to interview her about Borat. So, Aaron, please tell me about Borat.
0: I would love to tell you about Borat, Chris. Borat is a film uh, starring Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, who is from a country in the in Kazakhstan something like that he says very nice and he says my wife and I have only ever seen Borat 2 which I saw last night but that one is about his relationship with his daughter did you know that Borat was like a real documentary but just with like a fake host? like Borat is not a real guy but it's a documentary and everybody in it is real
1: so I will preface this by saying that I guess neither Aaron nor I have seen Borat before uh, the original Borat. I have not seen it. Did I know ahead of time that Borat was like a, a fake documentary, uh, I guess, loosely? But you're saying that you you didn't realize to the extent which it was documentary style in terms of how many real people were in it.
0: Yes, I thought it was all, like, I thought it was a complete mockumentary of, like, it was completely fake and was all actors, but just filmed in the style of a documentary.
1: Oh, no, I mean, I knew that there was, it was heavily, like, hidden camera influence, kind of. I knew that.
0: Well, I didn't know that.
1: You didn't know that. I didn't know
0: anything about it.
1: So you walked into Borat 2. You didn't really walk into it because you didn't see it in a theater. You saw it in your living room. I walked into
0: my living room, sat down on the couch, put on Borat 2 on Amazon Prime now.
1: Uh and why did you do that if you had not seen the first one?
0: This is a good question, Chris. Um, I will say that um everybody th- the internet's buzzing about Borat 2. And I'm I missed the boat on Borat 1. I wasn't involved in that. It was just a thing that like all the guys in my high school who are now Republicans uh watched and talked about and thought it was very funny. Um I wanted to get in on Borat 2. I wanted to get in and be part of that conversation. I thought maybe I had a unique perspective, having never seen Borat one, which is true. I am now obsessed with Borat, and I am—I have Borat fever. I gotta—I <laughs> gotta get a Borat shirt. I gotta. Uh, I last night, Seth went out to get ice cream and I walked around the house for a little while just saying my wife over and over again.
1: You you very much enjoyed Borat and your, you're you're embracing everything. It was right And he's,
0: he's making fun of people, but like bad people. So it's OK. That's what I have to say about Borat.
1: I will have to watch. I'm going to watch the first one. and then I'm going to watch the second one. I'm gonna I am I might watch the first Borat. one
0: tonight. We could. Yeah, wow. we're going to we might um, introduce Go Borat yourself.
1: Yes. But until then, this is Go Chuck Yourself. So we're going to be talking about Chuck, uh, specifically Chuck versus the first fight.
0: Do you think Chuck ever met Borat? Do you think Chuck ever went to Borat's home country? It seems a little unstable.
1: When did the first Borat come out? 2006? I think so. So Borat significantly predates Chuck. So I feel like Morgan would be someone who would have really enjoyed borat when it came out the first time but i I feel like
0: we're gonna realize that there are borat references all over chuck and we just didn't know because neither of us had seen it
1: because we're so blind we're so we gotta
0: watch chuck all over again through the (laughs) borat lens that's our next podcast
1: go chuck yourself the borat edition
0: (laughs) the borat (laughs) years
1: um so when we left off in the last episode of chuck uh which was chuck versus the isle of terror Uh, He thought that things were going to be going well because his mom was back in his life. Mary was going to come meet Ellie. But uh, things didn't really go as planned because Sarah and Casey captured Mary. uh, And now Mary is a uh, not a fugitive. She's their prisoner, I guess. And Chuck isn't really having it.
0: You're really just doing my job for me.
1: There's just a few things that some folks might might need need to know. know. Things you
0: might have forgot.
1: Right. So I'm just letting them know. (laughs) I was just, I wanted to make sure we had a very strong bridge coming out of the very lengthy Borat discussion going into Chuck World, because I feel like Fair, we're like, yes. oh, blah, 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 Borat. Anyhow, so we're in the castle and everything. It would have been confusing. The castle, yes. <laughs> the castle.
0: So, we open on Mary. She's being held in a castle interrogation room while Sarah and Casey are debriefed by Beckman. Beckman repeats that Mary went undercover 20 years ago, but turned and began working for Golkoff. In short, she's bad. Beckman says Sarah did the right thing by bringing Mary in, but now she'll have to keep an eye on Chuck until they transfer Mary to a secure black site. Casey says this won't be a problem. We cut to Chuck making a passionate speech about how he had everything under control and knows his mom is innocent. We pan back and find out he's delivering the speech to Morgan as a practice first fight with Sarah. They're in what I've dubbed the Blue Basement, digging through Stevens' old files for something that will prove Mary didn't actually turn, but all they find is an old computer that only takes red triangle-shaped discs. Meanwhile, Morgan, that fount-of-all relationship wisdom, says that the first fight sets the tone for all future fights, and he's going through the same thing with Casey. Morgan sure has a history of weirdly dependent relationships with the men in his life, doesn't he? They end their conversation as Morgan asks if Stephen might have left anything for Ellie. Chuck heads off to ask. Ellie says she hasn't heard from Steven since he used to leave her messages in the classified ads. She wishes they could just waltz into the CIA base and ask Mary themselves what's up. Chuck's like, no, we definitely can't do that. He immediately heads to Castle, which is swarming with new CIA folks. Casey sees Chuck and ignores him, so Chuck continues on his way to the holding cells. Meanwhile, Sarah is also sneaking into her, Chuck, and Morgan's apartment to find Morgan hiding behind the door. After almost impaling him with her shoe, she learns that Chuck has told not only Morgan, but also Ellie about his fight with Sarah. Morgan tries to give Sarah a little pep talk, but Sarah says if she could just talk to Chuck, everything would be fine. In Castle, Chuck sneaks into his mom's cell, and, like, seriously, no no one sees this? No one notices him sneaking around? It's like the one job Beckman gave them. It's not like they're doing anything else.
1: Hey, does anyone think we should, like, really put more surveillance on Chuck's mom because it is his mom that he loves and hasn't seen in 20 years? Don't you think we should uh, maybe be a little bit more, like, mindful of that? Or maybe, like,
0: not let Chuck in the castle until she's gone? Right, Like, just, like, like, at 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 the door? Be like, (laughs) no, Chuck, you can't come in here right now. Mary is dubious why Chuck's there if everyone, including him, thinks she's a traitor, but Chuck says he's going to prove her innocent. After the credits, Mary explains to Chuck that she infiltrated Volkovs as a spy, but 20 years ago he began suspecting she was CIA, which meant he was one step away from figuring out about her family. She blew her own cover and pretended to join him so he wouldn't find out about or go after Chuck and Ellie. She says she's now working for MI6 and gives Chuck a code so he can meet her handler to prove her innocence. At home, Ellie is digging through the classified ads once again. Devin asks why, since she apparently decided months ago that there wasn't going to be anything left from Steven. But Ellie is adamant that she might have missed something. Apparently, there's been a classified ad for a 68 Mustang every day since Stephen's death. In the Bymore, Morgan approaches Casey to inform him that they are in a fight over the fact that Casey lied to Morgan about Chuck's mom and the file. Also, because Morgan can't learn anything from always being the magnet or left out of missions. Casey doesn't have time for this and walks away, which is when Chuck walks up and says he needs Morgan for a super-secret mission during which Morgan will be allowed to wear an earpiece. Morgan is so in. Chuck and Morgan arrive at a bar, being the absolute most. As Chuck sits down, Morgan has a lot of earpiece trouble, which involves him choosing that moment to tell Chuck that he talked to Sarah and told her that Chuck is mad at her, and then dropping his earpiece into a water glass. That's actually pretty delightful because the glass is too skinny for him to reach into and it keeps getting refilled every time he tries to get the earpiece out by drinking it, so he ends up having to take it into the bathroom to resolve the situation. Meanwhile, Timothy fucking Dalton shows up and puts a plastic fork to Chuck's neck, demanding to know who he is. Chuck is a bit flustered and can't remember his mom's code word, but eventually he gets it, and Timothy Dalton, who is called Tuttle, is like, oh, thank God. He's not wearing tweed, but he is wearing tweed in his heart, I will say. And I will also say you love to see it. Folks, it's great to see him on screen. Tuttle explains that he's an MI6 handler, not a field agent, and wouldn't know how to hurt anyone, even if he had to. He seems pretty dopey and harmless. He asks Chuck where Frost is, and Chuck explains she's in CIA custody, but just says he's her ally, since Tuttle doesn't know he's Mary's son. Before they get very far in figuring out how to prove Mary's innocence and whether Volkoff knows she's been captured, a waitress shoots Tuttle and then Chuck with a tranq gun. Apparently everyone in this bar is just a spy. Morgan is still in the bathroom drying the earpiece off in the blow dryer. When he gets back into the bar proper, Chuck and Tuttle are gone, and the bar is totally empty. Morgan is distraught. Later, Chuck and Tuttle wake up on a plane. Tuttle says they've been kidnapped by Volkov's operatives because he thinks they have frost. The waitress shows up with a flight attendant cart with torture equipment on it, but before she can torture Chuck into giving up Frost's location, Tuttle starts nagging her, I guess is the best way to describe it. <laughs> she threatens to start torturing him instead, so Chuck kicks away the cart, but he can't do much else because he's tied into his seat.
1: So we think that um, the the waitress here, her the character's name is Dasha, apparently. That is what
0: it says in the credits, but I don't think anyone ever calls her that.
1: <laughs> they do not. Uh, she is played by uh, Anna Gasteyer from Saturday Night Live. Um, so she plays a kind of like scary Eastern European woman. She has like this big scar on her neck. And yes, she has a, a mole and everything that uh Chuck apparently is is distracted by and tuttle. <laughs> which I've, i haven't i have actually said out loud today so that is that's a fun name to say Do you say tunnel. it
0: out loud at other times
1: no i mean no <laughs> i wasn't saying like i haven't said i like oh i just haven't gone around to say
0: <laughs> not my daily tunnel
1: <laughs> i haven't said it yet today i just meant that like since we've been working on this episode i haven't yeah, said it at all that makes sense um so anyhow she's distracted um And then like Chuck and Tuttle start to like try to figure out a plan, but then uh, Dasha returns uh, and she points a knife to Tuttle's eye and Tuttle starts revealing all of his deepest, darkest secrets when Chuck kicks uh, the, the weapons cart over and then back in castle Sarah and Casey are about to interrogate Mary and Morgan wants to come with, but they tell him to stay outside and then back on the plane as Dasha picks up all of her weapons, Tuttle manages to perform the Swedish slip, which allows him to untie his hands without breaking his thumbs, which I thought was a, like kind of like a nice callback to earlier episodes of Chuck when it's always, they always make a big deal of characters having to break their thumbs to get out of handcuffs or hand ties, different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Tuttle frees himself and then Chuck and then the two stand up just in time for Dasha to return for what Tuttle refers to as a tiny weapon standoff. Just as he says this, Dasha puts away her tiny weapon and takes out a large hunting knife and starts going after Chuck. Chuck gets cornered when a large bodyguard emerges from the cockpit, but Chuck uses this to his advantage by evading a punch and allowing it to knock out Dasha instead. Chuck then flashes, finally, and squares off against the bodyguard. The bodyguard overpowers him, and Chuck asks for Tuttle to help. So Tuttle tosses Chuck the hunting knife, but misses and ends up stabbing the bodyguard in the back causing him to fall over in the interrogation with Mary Casey demands to know where Chuck is, but Mary demands to see Ellie first. Sarah tells Mary that Chuck disappeared after going out to see her handler. But Mary insists that if Chuck is with Tuttle, he is safe. Mary suggests that maybe Chuck is simply avoiding Sarah since she knows all about their fight. Mary says that she won't be talking to anyone because the only person that she trusts is Chuck hearing this Morgan walks into the room and Mary is like gobsmacked to see him and asks what he's doing there. Morgan takes ownership for Chuck's disappearance and tells her that she can trust him, even though she hasn't seen him since he was nine. Uh, Mor- Mary reluctantly agrees, but only if she gets to see Ellie first. Evidently, she is not that concerned about Chuck's whereabouts. She really thinks that Chuck is safe with Tuttle, even though yeah, she does. we've only seen Tuttle for a few minutes, but I certainly don't trust him to take care of Chuck.
0: I don't know. He's Timothy Dalton, so I kind of trust him.
1: So, okay, we what is your what is your deal with Timothy Dalton? You keep smiling every time you say Timothy Dalton. You're blushing. What are you, do you have a crush on Timothy Dalton?
0: Yeah. Was that was that not apparent? <laughs> he's kind of like he's he's in that. This I mean, this is gonna be a disturbing thing to say. He's in that sweet middle ground between like someone you want to be your dad and someone you want to be your boyfriend. <laughs> That's Timothy Dalton for me.
1: Moving on. Uh, back on the airplane, Tuttle finds a couple of parachutes after punking Chuck, making him think that there was only one. Tuttle appears to be very nervous about jumping out of the plane, but inspires himself by thinking about his favorite show, Alias, <laughs> which was very random. That was uh, fun. <laughs> he then kicks down the emergency hatch door and leaps out of the plane. Chuck lingers, but then sees that uh, Dasha is awake and she has the hunting knife again, so he jumps out of the plane as well. We see the two men uh, falling down from the plane. Uh, They haven't really activated their parachutes yet, but apparently they do at some point because we cut to a commercial. And when we come back, Chuck is waking up safely on the bed of a truck next to Tuttle. Uh, The bed of the truck that they're in happens to be transporting a large herd of sheep. Chuck asks Tuttle where they're going, and Tuttle says that the truck is headed to the slaughterhouse. But he disregards this pretty quickly by saying that they're headed back to L.A. to find the evidence that will clear uh, Agent Frost's name. Tuttle then asks why Chuck is so invested in freeing Frost, asking Chuck if he and Frost are dating. Uh, but Chuck says that they just have a personal relationship. Besides, Chuck already has a girlfriend, and she's a spy too. Chuck then starts to open up about his fight with Sarah, but Tuttle insists that he doesn't need to hear it. But the, uh, the train has already left the station, so to speak, so Chuck proceeds to talk Tuttle's ear off for the next 123 miles back to Los Angeles. At the apartment complex... Sarah, Casey, and Morgan bring Mary to see Ellie. Sarah brings Mary into Ellie's apartment. There's awkward silence as Ellie sees her mom for the first time in 20 years. Ellie offers her lemonade and the two sit down while Sarah sits awkwardly by herself in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, <that laughs> just, you do. Just looking on. Mary apologizes to Ellie for showing up at her apartment in chains, but she just wanted to see Ellie. Ellie and Mary have a heart-to-heart in which Mary tells Ellie a story about going for drives in Stephen's burgundy-colored Mustang. Ellie reflects on the blue leather seats of this car and Mary tells her that Stephen had special ordered those and that watching Ellie sleep on those drives, like Ellie would sleep, I guess, in the middle seat in between the two of them. And that was one of Mary's favorite things.
0: Okay, hold. Okay. So this dialogue... Very, very stilted and odd. didn't i I assume that Mary was trying to talk in a code by talking so weird. But I don't know if Ellie was in on that. Do you think that the dialogue, like this is just the dialogue and they were having an honest conversation. It sounded like the most like stilted, weird way that no one would talk of like, I remember going for rides in my mother's two thousand and one Jeep Liberty with the black cloth seats. Like that's not. You don't talk like that.
1: Yeah, it was kind of it definitely was stilted. It seemed very calculated on Mary's part, mm-hmm. like she was trying to speak in code or that she was trying to get like make a point to get something that would stick in Ellie's yeah. head. Like it wasn't she definitely has a motive here. It wasn't just kind of like I'm talking to my daughter uninhibited yeah. about whatever. So, yeah, yeah, I think you're I think you're right. Um, so Ellie says that she wants to know the truth of what happened. And Mary takes a long drink of lemonade <laughs> she says that it all began with a scientist named Stephen, codenamed Orion. A long time passed as Mary tells Ellie everything as Sarah continues to sit awkwardly in the distance, clearly overhearing everything that they're saying. <laughs> I was thinking, like, why didn't they ask Sarah to come sit with them? But I'm like, no, that's fine. They don't need to do that. But I'm like, why didn't Sarah bring like a book or a magazine or something to like <laughs> occupy herself instead of just like blandly overhearing what's going on? But I, I don't know. Mary concludes by saying that she wished she could say that everything that she's done was all for the best for Chuck and Ellie, but she doesn't know. Casey comes in and tells Mary that they have to leave, and she and Ellie have a tearful goodbye before Sarah ushers Mary out. So, at this point, we are led to believe that a significant amount of time has passed during Ellie's conversation (laughs) with Mary, but Morgan and Casey were there too. You know, what were they doing during their downtime? Let's find out in a declassified scene. So this is a scene that was a uh, deleted scene that I saw on my DVD. Casey tells Morgan that although it's his fault that Chuck disappeared, he did a good job in the interrogation room with Mary. Morgan says that he appreciates that and that he really looks up to Casey. After all, Casey's the best spy that he knows. At which point Casey points out that Morgan only knows three spies. (laughs) Morgan says that if Casey would just give him the chance, he could prove that he's a great partner. Morgan then goes on to say that he's declaring their fight officially over. Turns out he's been having a lot of physical symptoms of stress from their fight, including stomach and back aches and nosebleeds. But he believes that all of this was not worth throwing their relationship away over. Casey then says that this is getting a little weird and asks to move on. And Morgan says, yes, let's, before going in for a hug, which Casey promptly rejects.
0: Okay, I mean, that that lives up to what the rest of the episode is putting down, but I also see why they cut it.
1: So after that, uh, in the courtyard, when Mary and Sarah return outside, Mary says that since Sarah held up her end of the bargain, now she'll hold up hers. Mary says that there is a relay station that she can call into to check in. If Tuttle's shared his location with the relay station, they will be able to find him and Chuck. Back in the slaughterhouse, Chuck and Tuttle are waist deep in sheep's blood the screams of innocent ewes ricocheting off of the cold steel walls.
0: Is this real? Is this a thing that happened? Did I miss this?
1: Yeah, I get no reaction. I just said that crazy sentence and you just <laughs> stared at me blankly. Um no, I just got
0: anxious that I just forgot to watch part of this episode.
1: No, there was not a scene in which Chuck and Tuttle were waist deep in sheep's blood. <laughs> that was not included in this episode. That was a very threatening grin that Aaron just (laughs) did at me it was very intimidating uh anyway Chuck and Tuttle are actually at a bank in downtown Los Angeles retrieving a a safety deposit box I always get banks and slaughterhouses messed up Uh, that wasn't supposed to be any kind of joke I mean it was a joke (laughs) but I wasn't trying to make a point about anything uh Tuttle opens his security box and retrieves a folder that allegedly contains the proof of Mary's innocence or it's like a package or or something and um as someone pointed out on IMDB, the box number is actually 407, which may be because Timothy Dalton was the fourth James Bond 07 agent. 407.
0: See, considering the fact that I have a crush on him, you would think that I had seen him being very suave as James Bond, but that's not that's not where I know him from.
1: It, you just know him from this, and your your crush yeah, is just yeah. this. Okay. Yeah. As it turns out, Ellie is also handling a uh, folder at this moment. That might be the worst transition between scenes I've ever written, uh, but it's true. So (laughs) she takes out her collection of classified ads after her conversation with Mary, Devin asks what she's doing. And Ellie says that she thinks that the Mustang and the recurring classified ads is an actual car that Steven left behind for Ellie back at the bank. Chuck and Tuttle are leaving when they are intercepted by Mary and Sarah. Mary sees that Tuttle has proof of her uh, innocence which happens to be on the weird triangular discs from the beginning of the episode. Uh, they're not real. Don't look it up. There's never been a computer that takes triangular discs. They made it up just for this show. Don't be confused and be like an idiot like me who thought that that could potentially be something that was real. Um, Tuttle says that MI6 has the antiquated technology to read these triangular discs back in London. But Chuck says he knows where they can find one of those machines right here in LA. Tuttle insists that they hurry, but Sarah says that Mary can't go anywhere and that they need to bring her back to castle immediately. Just as they're saying this, several men barge into the bank with shotguns. One raises his gun and shoots the ceiling, and all the civilians of the bank freak out. Sarah, Chuck, Mary, and Tuttle hide and see that these aren't your regular bank robbers. These are a team of Volkov's men, led by none other than Dasha. Dasha! As Dasha and the henchmen search through the crowd, a security guard approaches them and says that they are all, that they all surrender and nobody wants to be a hero. They just don't want anyone to get hurt. Dasha says that they're not looking for the money or the civilians. So I'm assuming that they are looking for uh, Chuck or Tuttle or Mary or whoever. Chuck asks Sarah how Volkov could have found them there. But Sarah suggests that someone, i.e. Chuck's mom, must have revealed their location. Tuttle says that Volkov's men must have followed Chuck and he to the bank and alludes to knowing about Chuck and Sarah's fight. Sarah is incredulous that yet another person knows about their issues We then cut to the security footage of the bank, which is being watched by Morgan and Casey in the spy van. Casey is gearing up to go in through the bank's roof and Morgan wishes him luck. But Casey invites him to come with Morgan says that he figured Casey would want him to stay in the van. But Casey says that Morgan will never learn anything in the van and hands Morgan a vest of body armor. Morgan takes this to mean that his fight with Casey is over completely. Not like over in the declassified scene, but now it's (laughs) now it's really over.
0: So yeah, Sarah tells Chuck she can't believe he told everyone about their fight except for her. Chuck explains that he wanted to get his feelings in order first so they could set the right tone for their fight. But Sarah points out that the tone he actually set was telling everyone but her how he was feeling.
1: Yeah, it was stupid. It was a stupid move, Chuck.
0: Yeah, it's dumb. Chuck is dumb. We know that. (laughs) So as they try to escape, they start to fight properly. Chuck is upset that Sarah didn't trust him and arrested Mary without telling him. Sarah says she did this for Chuck's own good to protect him. Leaving Mary and Tuttle behind a counter, they run out and continue their fight while beating up Dasha and the bad guys. Another good band name. Yes. Also, Kiss with a Fist is playing, and that was pretty pretty apropos, I would say. Yeah, that makes sense. Sarah says it's exhausting to fight with him and she hates it. He agrees, but says he wants her to believe in him even when she thinks he's wrong. She agrees. We get a brief glimpse of a potential sexy Sarah showdown with Dasha, but then Sarah just knocks Dasha down. As Mary and Tuttle come out of hiding, though, Dasha gets up and tries to shoot at Chuck. Tuttle jumps out in front of him and gets hit. Sarah calls in the man down, but Tuttle encourages Mary, Chuck, and Sarah to take the discs and go. Sarah agrees, unlocking Mary's handcuffs. She says if Chuck trusts his mom, that's good enough for her, so they head to the blue basement. Mary says what we're all thinking, that she assumed Stephen had sold the house and doesn't know why he kept it. <laughs> Chuck makes a comment that makes me wonder if Mary- does Mary know that Stephen is dead? Has that come up?
1: They haven't told her, so unless she knew independently, but they never discuss it.
0: Yeah, so Chuck kind of uh, brushes over that, Um, so I don't know if that's going to come up later, but they don't have time for that right now. They head to the computer and put the disc in, or at least Chuck and Sarah do. Mary keeps walking through the aisles of files, looking just a little suspicious. As Casey and Morgan arrive at the bank, they find there's nothing left of Tuttle but a pool of blood. Mary, meanwhile, sneaks open a box marked E Irbia? Did you see what it said?
1: Uh yeah, well what it was it? you're something. It was U, E, U, e- R Y something. Yeah,
0: it's like Irbia, whatever. That mean, that's something. Uh she pulls out a phone. At the computer, Chuck is confused to see that all the discs are blank. Sarah heads off into the stacks with her gun drawn, and Chuck follows, but he finds Mary first. She holds up the phone and says, your father never wanted you to see this, but I know now he was wrong, and plays an intersect video. As it ends, Sarah yells for Chuck, but then gets knocked out by someone. Chuck turns around and it's Tuttle, looking very dapper in a suit. Chuck asks Tuttle how he's there when he got shot, and Timothy Dalton goes all Russian, or like sort of Russian, he still kind of sounds British. Uh, He says there is no Tuttle, he's Alexei Volkov. Then he punches Chuck and knocks him out. Chuck wakes up, and he and Sarah are tied up. Mary is standing by, all smug, while Volkov plants bombs all over Stephen's basement. He says that Stephen was pathetic for pining after Frost when she left him, and wonders why Chuck would follow in Stephen's footsteps, still not knowing Chuck is Mary's son. Either way, he thanks Chuck for leading him to Orion's base so he could destroy it and everyone who knows about it. He triggers the explosion countdown and bids Mary to come with him, but she manages to slip a razor into Sarah's hand and whispers, Protect him! While Chuck freaks out, Sarah frees herself, then Chuck, and they run out of the house just as it explodes. As they lay in the wreckage, Chuck realizes he can no longer flash. And I was surprised by this because, as you mentioned in the last episode, he didn't flash in that episode. He doesn't- he does flash in this episode, but he doesn't flash a lot. And I kind of just, like, I don't know. It didn't- I didn't know we were at the point where he could just flash at will. And apparently he can, so he notices that he can no longer do it. But it's just- I don't know. I was- I mean, that's a big, that's a big thing that is revealed, but it was just kind of like, oh, right, he can, flashing is a thing that he does. I, I mm. had forgotten. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ellie and Devin are heading to pick up the Mustang. They find a heartfelt letter from Steven saying Ellie will always be his little girl and he trusts her to know what to do. As they drive off, we pan down and see like a computer thing hidden under the car.
1: It raises the question of, was this convertible just sitting outside all the Did time? Did they have to
0: pay for it?
1: They must have. But then was that note to Ellie always in the car? Like, because it was, like, in the center, kind of, like, by the radio. Yeah. So is that always sitting there? Or does he, Stephen Steven have, like, an agreement with whoever was holding on to the car that, like, <laughs> hey, when my daughter comes to buy this car, please put this envelope out in yeah, the middle. Yeah, because you'd
0: think it would have, like, weather damage. Like, it doesn't, not necessarily Correct. rain, but, like, maybe it would get, like, sun damage or something.
1: Something. Or yeah. that's, it would, the wind might blow it yeah. out or... A raccoon might come and take it. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I don't really know the pitfalls of being a convertible owner, having not been one myself. But uh, yeah. And then what is that computer in the car? It looks like an Xbox. I don't like, know. I don't know. I'm very confused. I, I, you know, I feel like the past few episodes have ended with like a very kind of definitive um, uh-huh. cliffhanger where mm-hmm. it's kind of like you kind of figure out where they're going to pick up from here. But this episode ended and I was like, what's going on?
0: Did you remember Timothy Dalton?
1: Uh, Obviously not in the same way that you did.
0: (laughs) I just like, I remember you not know, like you said, like, I have no idea what's coming in season four. And I didn't know if you remembered Volkov and Chuck's mom and stuff.
1: I I do. I did. I, I thought, I was under the impression that there was a lot more time spent with Tuttle before he was revealed to be Volkov. Like, I thought he kind of, Tuttle became a reoccurring character.
0: I'm pretty sure that um, there's, like, some tuttle on the back half. Or, look like, <laughs> that's a
1: good, <laughs> I like that
0: <laughs> phrase. Um, but I'm pretty sure that he, like, becomes a bumbling British man again, maybe in season five. I kind of remember that, too.
1: Okay. Um, so that that maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But, yeah. yeah, so I was confused when, or I was a little surprised when he revealed um, the big Volkov reveal was in this episode as well. Mm-hmm. So I already know the answer to this, but I guess I'm going to ask it anyways. I take it that you're really more attracted to Timothy Dalton as Volkov than you are (laughs) Timothy Dalton as Tuttle.
0: I mean, that's a good question. That is very much like my like my typical attraction. but right. yes. But I was, I was into Tuttle. I kind of liked him when he was just kind of really? like a, a smart British man who's a little bit bumbling. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't like that he nagged Dasha, but I know that he was doing it for the, the greater good. He wasn't doing it because he actually believes women should pluck their nose hairs.
1: So this is kind of a tough situation because you kind of, on one end, you have, like, your affinity for, like, bumbling British dorks, but then yeah. on the other end of it, you have your affinity for, like, Cold, callous, sexy, <laughs> British types.
0: Thank you for calling him sexy.
1: Well, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to connect with you in a language that I know oh, thank that you, yes, you yeah. can connect with.
0: Yes, I know. It is a struggle, but I like to look at it in a positive way in that either character he's playing, I will be happy.
1: Here's another question, and this is gonna be very difficult, so I apologize. Okay. okay. But you can only pick one. Are you going to go with Brandon Routh? Or are you going with Timothy Dalton? <gasps>
0: That's a hard one. I feel, okay. This is, I'm going to be honest here. Okay. I know that we can, we can't predict what the future will hold, but based simply on age, I think Brandon Routh will last a little little longer than Timothy Dalton, so I'm going to have to go with him as a partner because he will be able to, I mean, I don't know if this is as a partner, but just like, he will be able to support me for a little longer. Okay. Um, but on the other hand, Timothy Dalton probably has, like, more wealth, so it might be more beneficial to me to, like, be with him.
1: Interesting. I wasn't thinking of it, of that angle.
0: In terms of attraction. And also, like, but I don't know how Brandon Routh will age. Like, I, Timothy Dalton is, like, as old as he's gonna, as old as he's gonna get. I don't mean he's gonna die. I just mean he's <laughs> probably gonna look like that. Um... So I know what he's going to look like as he ages. It's a tough question. I don't know. I'll have to get back to you.
1: Right. I would imagine that Brandon Routh will age well
0: That's if true. he ever
1: ages. I mean, we saw him during the, the virtual <laughs> table read and he did not age at all since That's the episode. Point, yeah. So if he ever decides to start aging at some point like a normal human being, then I'm sure he'll be fine.
0: OK, how about both? How about that?
1: <laughs> sure, I'll allow it. Thank you. Uh, just like the rules for that, I guess we're pretty fast and loose. The sometimes the rules for Chuck Mary Kill are kind of fast and loose. We can marry concepts, ideas. We can marry multiple things at a time. We can marry people. We can marry fictional characters. Whatever we want. It's it's just the rules of Chuck Mary Kill. uh we can similarly we can kill things that we don't like. We can kill ideas. Um, but we're gonna pick one thing to marry in this episode and one thing to kill. Aaron, what would you like to marry?
0: Mine's just going to not be a surprise at all. I'm just marrying Tim- Timothy Dalton.
1: I wish I had moved into Chuck, Mary, Kill before asking my question because that would have okay. made sense, but I guess it's it's OK as a little end cap for that.
0: Yep. Who would you like to marry?
1: Um, I felt really confident in this when I was watching the episode, but then talking about it, talking back about it now, I'm a little concerned that maybe it was like a little melodramatic, but for some reason I found that the scene between Ellie and Mary, the heart to heart, I felt was very <laughs> affecting. Um, I thought it was just like even if you know you you go the stilted route and like she's trying to convey something I still think that's really good acting on both their parts like I thought that Sarah Lancaster was doing a good job being like a woman who has never who hasn't seen her mom in 20 years and thought that she never would Um, I felt like there was like a appropriate level of awkwardness in it Um, it just felt like I felt like it was pretty true to how that kind of thing would go down aside from maybe the potential secret codes but um, yeah, I don't know. I felt like the show doesn't really do that. And, uh, so I thought, I thought, it, I thought they delivered on the scene. I thought they handled it well. I thought they could have fallen short. Aaron is smiling as if she does not agree with me.
0: As if uh, an appropriate level of awkwardness is moving into kill, where I said the conversation between Mary and Ellie. That's fine. Specifically the car thing, I just thought was so awkward and was not how people talk. And if they had like, the easiest fix to that would just be that like they look at each other like a little bit askance where like Ellie knows that Mary's trying to give her a code, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like they don't exactly do that. I also thought like the the montage like I know they're doing it to establish time, but it just felt like you you say they don't really do that in Chuck a lot as like a good thing, but I think of it as like less of a good thing where I was like, am I watching like a lifetime movie here? like what is this like? This, like, romantic, slow song is kind of playing while, like, Mary is gesturing. I thought it was a nice moment. I thought they did all right. But that was, um, it was not my favorite execution of that kind of scene.
1: I respect that. I think I I, I get what you mean with, like, the ambiguity about, like, was she being stilted intentionally or was she yeah. not being stilted? That's hard. Um, I didn't specifically, I wasn't referring to the the passage of time uh-huh. As the the thing that they don't always do in Chuck, that's not exactly what I was honing in on. And I do agree with you that, that I could see that <laughs> being melodramatic. I more of just meant like, it felt like the scene was really long. Like, I assume that the way that they would have handled this would have been that we would see Mary walking into the room and sitting down with Ellie. And then it would be like, cut to later that day, the conversation has already happened. Uh-huh. Like, and we never really get to see that. So I thought it was just kind of, I felt like it was a, an Ellie forward moment, which I appreciated.
0: That's and true. Yes, I always appreciate Ellie forward moments. Yes. What is your kill?
1: Uh, whatever your Mary was, I'm going to kill Timothy Dalton no, just to prove a point. My no, husband. no, no. <laughs> no, I, I think the whole idea of this being Chuck and Sarah's first fight is kind of a misnomer and is kind uh. of silly. I mean, I think just generally speaking, the word "fight" is already kind of an extreme word for like when couples have. Disagreements or misunderstandings. They also things. had
0: a fight about the suitcase thing. That was a fight. Yeah,
1: that was almost more of a what I would consider to be a fight, quote unquote, than this. Um, but aside from that innate kind of tension, it just felt kind of weird that the writers chose to play this fight angle up throughout the whole thing. Because I feel like Sarah and Chuck had obviously they've had disagreements and miscommunications in the past in recent episodes about like, you know, we have to communicate better. What do you want in a relationship? I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Um, But this just didn't really strike me as a fight. It just felt like an episode, like, then they kept the episode, kept bringing it up and being like having the other characters be like, I heard about your fight. Oh, I know about the fight. But and, like, they almost need to remind us that this was, like, a part, like, a central thing to the episode where I'm like, I don't know. The episode feels like it's being a different thing than what you keep trying to bring it back to. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm fine with, like, Sarah and Chuck disagreeing about how to handle Mary. It's almost kind of like, I just, this just came out of nowhere, but it's almost like how when they were handling uh Jill, like, in season two, when Jill was, like, a prisoner and everything and Chuck felt bad for her and wanted to help her get, like... Mm-hmm immunity or transfer to a whatever and they're like oh we don't know if we can trust you like it's not really a fight um so i i understand why the characters would disagree but saying that they're having a fight and that this is their first fight just doesn't make sense it's almost like another stupid bullshit morgan says something in the first five minutes of the episodes where he's like i'm a relationship expert and i know all about this yeah this is what this is and then they just stick with it for the rest of the thing even though this is the second episode After the previous episode where Morgan has not talked about his new relationship with Alex at all. So I know
0: I really thought that like Casey was like bringing Morgan into the fold and it was going to be revealed that he was doing it. So like he didn't have time for Alex. But that like has never come up like since Casey started involving Morgan more in the spy life. Mm -hmm. I thought that would make sense, but I don't think that's what they're doing.
1: Yeah, you think he would be more like, okay, well, you know, my daughter says you're okay, so you're okay by me. Let me show you the ropes. But it seems to be completely separate and independent yeah. of Alex's yeah. feelings. Something that is not separate from our feelings, it's something that's actually very closely attuned to our feelings is the scooter scale, uh, where we pick a number on a scale of zero to five, number of corn dogs to give this episode based on how much we like it. Aaron, how many corn dogs are you giving this episode?
0: I'm gonna give this episode three corn dogs. I thought that it was fairly enjoyable, it was watchable, and in terms of what it was setting up, all of that was interesting. I thought Timothy Dalton's performance was great, obviously. He is my husband. Um, I found the fight angle kind of confusing, like, even in reading my notes back about the scene where they actually, like, have their fight while they are having a literal fight with the bad guys, I was like, what is each of their perspectives like? Chuck is mad about like Sarah imprisoning their imprisoning his mom, and then what is Sarah's point of view? Like she's just it's all it wasn't really a fight. You're right. Um, so I think that this is another instance in which like they're trying, they're swinging for something in terms of like adding some drama back to their relationship. But I didn't really feel like this was the way to do it. Um, I felt like. Even though she was in a lot of it, I felt like Linda Hamilton was not, like, at her best in terms of utilization. She just kind of, like, there was a lot of time where she was just kind of, like, standing there and was, like, reactive as opposed to, like, doing anything other than the conversation with Ellie, which I thought was a nice idea, but I didn't like how it was executed. So I feel like that's kind of my tagline for this episode is, like, a nice idea, but I don't like how it was done.
1: I don't know. I'm really torn because I feel like my my opinion of this episode has changed as we've discussed. That's interesting.
0: It. Well, you could give it two scores. Just lay them out there.
1: Two score? Why would I give it two scores?
0: Well, I just mean like you can say both of your scores, and then like they can both be on the
1: record. Well, where I'm where I'm hovering at, it's kind of a big range. I'm kind of confused cuz I feel like I could go anywhere between 3.5 and 4.5. Mm, wow. It's kind of I, you know, but I just I felt the third act of this episode was really strong in particular. Uh-huh. Um I was like I said I was surprised that the Volkov reveal was in this episode, but um I thought it just really heightened the tension and Mary is still kind of a loose cannon in my mind. You don't really know quite what she's up to and Mm -hmm. what she's doing. Um, But I just thought that obviously I liked for better or worse that the interaction between Mary and Ellie and that Ellie was able to finally have that. Um, The actual like Volkov plot of like, we're on a plane and now we're in a truck and now we're at a bank and there's Dasha and everything. I guess I didn't really care too much about, but um, I did really like the third act and I like the idea of um cuz the the song that's playing when the house explodes is the same song that plays when Steven dies according to IMDb. Oh is it? Okay,
0: that's So I cool. kind of
1: like this whole connection of like Chuck's past is like finally it's like he's really being dis- like dislocated from it. Ellie has finally yeah. had some kind of closure with her mom um and now their house is and all of Steven's life work is just gone up in flames. Yeah. Um so I was kind of thinking this episode in terms of like it's surprising that it's not like a a finale or like a, some kind of like break episode like the last episode before a holiday break or whatever uh-huh. just cuz it felt like it had such a like we're resetting we're entering a new phase of season 4 kind of now uh-huh. that we know who Volkov is and we have gone to spend a little bit more time with Mary so um yeah I don't know I guess I'll have to reflect upon this more I'll have to fight with myself about what to what to give this on the scooter scale. Your but first maybe,
0: fight with yourself.
1: <laughs> maybe Never I'll done just, it before. I'll just average out. I'll say I'll just give it a four. And that's okay, like that a middle ground. Sense. So I think that's probably okay.
0: All right. So our final segment is our lesson of the week. What did you learn this week, Chris?
1: I learned this week that even if someone has an unassuming, non-threatening name like Tuttle, do not <laughs> trust them. Tuttle might end up being quite a bit of trouble.
0: Ooh. Um, I learned, well, I, I don't know if I can count this as something I learned this week. It was just something like I re-verified with myself, but I would like to date Timothy Dalton. Is he married? I gotta look this up. I mean, obviously he's married to me, but uh, does he have a wife? Let's see. Um, He's divorced. Perfect. He has a son, though. Okay. Oh, <laughs> nah, um, his son's 23, so that's a little young for me.
1: You think it's more plausible that you'd be able to date timothy dalton who's probably in his 60s 70s find out. 74 so you think you're more comfortable with dating a 74 year old timothy dalton than instead of his son who's only four years younger <laughs> than you and presumably probably also young. looks like him too it's young. too young what is what is not too young for you then
0: 25
1: <laughs> so you just have to wait two years but is that number going to go up as you age as well like in two years, are you? He's gonna very move? cute.
0: I'm looking at pictures of him now. He used to have like a skater boy haircut,
1: oh. um, but he's got.
0: I think he's got a girlfriend though. Oh. Well, this was this is from a while ago, so maybe not.
1: He probably also maybe lives in L.A. or London. These are places that you seem to enjoy.
0: Mm, he lives the. Yep. Well, he was born in London. I don't know where he lives now. Oh. Huh. Um. Is his mother, Vanessa Redgrave. No, no, no! It must be the other wife. Okay, all right. So either way, Dalton's, Dalton's come at me.
1: So Erin has had her sexual reawakening for <laughs> Timothy Dalton, just like she every had her, season.
0: I have to have one.
1: Her mental and emotional awakening for Borat. So there's there's a lot going on. I was kind of confused about like because I knew that Timothy Dalton was going to be coming in, and I was like, we're going to have to deal with him for a while. Like he's going to become a new fixture in the. The go chuck yourself canon of characters. And I was like, what exactly? How do we handle that? What's his what's our angle gonna be on that? But I guess the angle is that Aaron just wants to fuck his brains out. It's <laughs> just the end of the day. How That's we are the viewing angle. Timothy Dalton. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh so
1: on that note, my name is Chris Gillespie, reminding you that food, like Timothy Dalton, is sexy.
0: My name is Aaron Arata, letting you know that anything is possible. Wink.
1: Like you getting with Timothy Dalton and or his son,
0: and or his son.
1: Yeah, I thought yes. you might. Yeah, thought you might pick up on that. Well, this has been a very enlightening episode of Go Check Yourself. I uh, it's going to take me a while to forget about this <laughs> one. Uh, if I ever do, maybe I'll never forget about it. So uh, I hope to uh, have you back, listener, next week. I hope that you were well, and I look forward to our next episode. So take care. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to go check yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.